With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Love Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here live to The Nonprofit Coach. I'm coming to you live from the Charities Aid Foundation of America in Washington, D.C. Today is Tuesday, June 26th, and we mark this day as the final live show here of The Nonprofit Coach before we go into our summer hiatus. So please mark your calendars that June and July are perfect months to catch up on those podcasts. Uh, that are available for you at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, as the announcer uh, just said. And this show will return live on September 4th for our regular Tuesday 12 noon shows. Today we've got a jam-packed show. Uh, lots of people on the show today. Obviously, when we're uh, taking a couple months off for the summer, uh, we're trying to get uh, a lot of very important messages in for you today. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, as the announcer just said, you can join us live uh, by calling in to 347-324-3080. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a number of folks in the chat room. You can ask questions there, or you can email me your questions for our page two expert today by emailing tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start the show with page one news. Over here on page one news today, we've got a lot going on. We want to draw your attention to the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and first up in the radio links today, uh, you will find the announcement uh, from Chase Community Giving. You can now nominate your organization. The next Chase Community Giving program is underway, and they will be giving away $5 million in grants to local charities. They're refining the process a bit this year to make sure that uh, uh, charities are eligible in to advance on for voting, and so starting June 12th, 
through July 9th, uh, so right now through July 9th, Chase customers and employees are being asked to nominate their favorite local charities to give them the opportunity to participate. In September, uh, on their Facebook page, which we're providing a link for you today at tedhart.com in the radio links, uh, you'll be able to receive all that information. And in September, the top 196 charities will receive a share of the $5 million in grants. So all the program rules and how you can nominate your favorite charity are available in the radio links today. Uh, next up, if you uh, give me just one second, I've got uh, a very important uh, friend of uh, uh, the Ted Hart uh, radio show and of the philanthropic sector uh, coming to us live today from uh, South Africa. I'm just asking Colleen Detroit to join us. She's the CEO of CAF South Africa. Uh, and uh, Colleen, welcome here live uh, to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Hello, Colleen. Hello. Ah, Colleen, great. Terrific. Uh, wonderful to uh, have you join us uh, from South Africa here on the show. Uh, in the radio links today, we are providing information on Mandela Day 2012. Uh, you run the office, the Charities Aid Foundation office in South Africa. I run the Charities Aid Foundation in America. And we're looking, uh, we're going to be uh, putting together a partnership uh, where those in America will be able to support charities in South Africa in celebration of Mandela Day. We'll be emailing out more information and posting that on social media. Uh, but since we've got the uh, pleasure of having you live here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, uh, could you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about Mandela Day? What is that? Thanks, Ted, and hello to your listeners. Um, may I assume that Americans know who Nelson Mandela is? I think you can. Uh, we certainly uh, <laughs> pride ourselves on uh, knowing a little bit about the world, and I certainly hope that uh, my listeners <laughs> do know who Nelson Mandela is. What is the uh, the effort behind uh, celebrating uh, his life and accomplishments uh, as uh, part of Mandela Day 2012? Well, um, it comes out of something that Mandela said close to the end of his um, public life, where he said something like, it's now up to you. In other words, he was handing over the mantle so that... Um, the changes that he had been working towards would now be taken over by the rest of us, everybody in South Africa, and it's since become an international movement. I think Mandela Day has become an international celebration of goodwill and uh, good deeds. Um, what uh, will your organization, the Charities Aid Foundation of Southern Africa, uh, be doing to celebrate Mandela Day? Well, we've already started in terms of our own team going out and volunteering ourselves. But what we are doing is encouraging um, everybody in South Africa and particularly our corporate clients to go out and volunteer. Um, and we are ourselves facilitating quite a few very exciting volunteering events. So this is a day that uh, really uh, calls upon uh, people to volunteer, to give, and to uh, do good deeds themselves. What is the actual date of uh, Mandela Day? It's on Mandela's birthday, which is the 18th of July. It's actually his 94th birthday this year. 
Terrific. So Nelson Mandela International Day uh, is uh, the 18th of July, and everyone around the world, uh, including uh, corporations and individuals, are asked, uh, I believe, to spend at least 67 minutes doing good uh, or uh, giving uh, to, uh, to charity. Uh, what's the significance of 67? 67 is taken from the 67 years of Mandela's life that he devoted to, um, well, to change in South Africa. Um, as you probably know, he was the first president um, after democracy came to South Africa. And before that, he was in prison for 27 years, having been convicted by the apartheid government um, of treason. So um, 67 years is the time that he gave of his life. Uh, of his life to uh, to service. So 21 yes. days, 11 hours, uh, 21 days, 11 hours, and 51 minutes uh, until uh, Nelson Mandela International Day. Uh, we celebrate that uh, here today and, and kick off our own celebration of Nelson Mandela Day here uh, with our good friend, uh, Colleen Dutrois, who is the... Uh, uh, CEO of CAF Southern Africa. Uh, before I let you go, just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, CAF Southern Africa. We have provided a link in the radio links today uh, so everyone can get to your website and learn about Mandela Day. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your organization. CAF Southern Africa was established to promote philanthropy, to promote um, volunteering to promote corporate social investment. Um, and that is our main function here in Southern Africa. We also do um, advocacy work in terms of a more enabling environment for um, charities, civil society, um, and related activities. But the main thing we do is facilitate channeling of um, funds and other resources, including civic service, to organizations of civil society. Colleen, thank you uh, so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Keep up the good work, and thank you uh, for being our partner in uh, starting the celebration uh, for Nelson Mandela International Day coming up on the 18th of July. Take care, and again, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you, Ted. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, that was uh, Colleen Detroit, who is the uh, uh, CEO of CAF South Africa, joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, from South Africa. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we have the opportunity to uh, uh, share with you uh, some uh, good information uh, that uh, I think a lot of folks are, are looking to get an update uh, from another good friend of the show here. Bob Otnoff is here live uh, from GuideStar. Uh, Bob, you're uh, currently the president and CEO of uh, GuideStar.org, but uh, things are about to change. Uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Hi, Ted. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to uh, to have you here. So uh, change is afoot at uh, at GuideStar. Tell us all about it. Sure. This um, I'm now marking my 10th year uh, as president of GuideStar, and uh, I announced a few months ago that I uh, intend to step down uh, shortly. And uh, I think that's a good thing for an organization to uh, uh, to go through uh, 
leadership changes from time to time, and so this seemed like a good time to for for me to uh, to move on to my next adventure. And uh, uh, any idea what your next adventure will look like? Well, it's been fun talking to people in the nonprofit sector. Uh, I enjoy building uh, organizations. I've I've built two already, and I like fixing things. So I'm looking for an opportunity to do one or both of those two things. That's great. Any uh, any announcements uh, for your successor or when that information might become available? No, we've hired uh, the search firm of Spencer Stewart, and they've been uh, interviewing candidates for a while. They've narrowed it down to maybe seven or eight candidates that the board's reviewing right now. So we're hoping that by sometime in September, uh, the board will be able to make an announcement about a new CEO. Well, that's uh, that's terrific timing for us because, as you may have just heard at the top of the show, uh, today is our last show before we go into our summer hiatus. We'll be back on uh, September 4th, so we certainly hope that you'll pass the good word on to uh, the board of directors and others at uh, uh, at GuideStar and uh, that they'll come on the show and maybe use this as one of their uh, announcement vehicles. GuideStar is always welcome here, Bob, as you know. Uh, we have uh, uh, on numerous occasions shared with our audience that we consider GuideStar to be the second most important thing that nonprofits can do online to succeed. The most important is a well-designed website and a strong email service. So uh, GuideStar is extremely important to the nonprofit sector. Uh, before I let you go, we have provided in the radio links today um, information uh, about the GuideStar Exchange, and this is uh, something we've been uh, trying to help get the word out about the GuideStar Exchange seal um, could you just take a second and make sure that my audience knows uh, right from uh, the horse's mouth, if you will, uh, what is the GuideStar Exchange seal? Why is it important? What does it do for the sector? Sure. So the GuideStar Exchange is a way for um, the, the donating public uh, to learn more about a nonprofit organization and for for all nonprofit leaders to be able to really tell their story. Um, we think the 990 is an okay document, but it's got its limitations. And after all, it was designed by the IRS primarily as a uh, tax document. So the IRS, uh, so the 990 has some limitations. We think the GuideStar Exchange can really give a fuller, uh, more in-depth picture of a nonprofit. We ask. Uh, um, so nonprofits have the opportunity to supply us with whatever data they would like about their organizations. We urge you to send us information about your board, about your management and its capabilities, um, to emphasize mission, to emphasize impact, uh, to give us audited financial statements. We really want to you know, do our part to get away from looking at things like overhead ratios and Focus on what's really important, mission, programs, uh, and particularly um, how capable is your organization and what kind of impact, what kind of difference are you making. If an organization supplies us with some of the key documents we're looking for, we award that organization the GuideStar seal. And it's it's not meant to say this is a good or a bad organization, but it's it's designed to um, give an imprimatur to, to those organizations who are committed to transparency and accountability. And increasingly, we're finding that uh, donors, individual donors and foundations, find the seal to be really valuable um, because it's one of the badges of distinction that they look for before they make a decision to uh, award a grant. 
And uh, and there are some benefits that come to charities beyond just uh, having the seal and being able to draw attention to that on their website. There are some benefits from GuideStar itself that come to the charity. Is that right? Sure, absolutely. Uh, there's a, a variety of different tools we have to both um, help you in your fundraising activities and um, and also to, to promote the seal. And uh, there's a, a, a few uh, product discounts that come with that as well. Um, and I think the really major thing it does is it not only does it make your organization more visible to the uh, 10 million plus users of GuideStar, but we also then distribute it to about 75 other sites. So it goes to giving portals like Network for Good or Just Give. It goes to um, all of the commercial donor advised funds. It goes to causes on Facebook. So it really kind of leverages the work uh, that you're doing in, co in collecting data about your organization. And, and um, most important, I guess, it's all free. There's no, no charges at all for supplying us with that data. Well, GuideStar does a, an awful lot of good uh, for our sector. As you know, the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show is uh, very supportive and urges all nonprofits uh, to complete the information in the templates and to earn the GuideStar Exchange seal of approval. Bob Botanoff, you've still got a, a ways to go as president and CEO. Bravo for the work that you've done so far. We uh, do hope that uh, as September approaches, uh, uh, you and the fine folks at GuideStar uh, will be in touch with us to let us know how we can help uh, get the word out, not only about your important services, but the change in leadership. Great. Uh, and thanks for the opportunity today, Ted, and, and thanks for the opportunity to to talk to you and your, and your and your listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, Bob Ottenoff, President and CEO of GuideStar.org. Uh, just to remind my listeners, uh, in the six pillars of success for nonprofit organizations online, uh, GuideStar is number two. Yes, GuideStar is far more important to nonprofit organizations than Facebook. Facebook just gets a lot more attention uh, than GuideStar. But when you're smart enough to listen to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, you know where the success can be had. Make sure that you complete all the templates and that you earn the GuideStar Exchange seal of approval. Over in the radio links today, we provide you with a direct link to the information on the exchange seal. Uh, you can find that at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. And next up here on the uh, Nonprofit Coach, uh, can uh, another uh, longtime supporter of the Nonprofit Coach radio show uh, and a fine service in the nonprofit sector, karma411.com uh, is a service that charities should know about. Today we have John Murcott, uh, who is the CEO of that organization. And, uh, John, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach, and I understand that uh, uh, you folks uh, have some news about uh, CrowdShare. That's right, Ted. Nice to speak with you today. Great to have you here. Yeah, we do have a program, Ted, called CrowdShare for Your Cause. So as you know, Ted, we've been doing uh, social fundraising with nonprofits for a number of years now, and we're noticing that a lot of the concepts and the frameworks that we're uh, doing are similar to concepts like crowdsourcing and crowd sharing. So what we thought to kind of celebrate that and to help people that want to support a cause we have a program called CrowdShare for Your Cause, where if you come to our website, www.karma411.com slash CrowdShare, and or tweet with the hashtag CrowdShare411, you would have the opportunity as an individual to win a $100 donation to a cause of your choice, or if you work for a cause, for your cause, $500 donation. 
So we're looking for the most innovative and creative uh, uh, updates from these members about crowd sharing, about crowdfunding, and uh, in general helping support these causes. So we're doing this over the next three months. Well, that's uh, that's terrific. We're providing a link uh, to this announcement. I believe that you also have a Twitter hashtag where folks can uh, track and follow this. That's CrowdShare411. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. And it's so all described on the website. Yeah, so all the information. Now, what's the, what's the time frame uh, for this? We're announcing winners on July 1st, August okay. 1st, and September 1st, so the next three months. Okay, terrific, terrific. Well, uh, as you heard at the top of the show, we are now going into our summer hiatus, so uh, uh, folks will need to uh, uh, go to our website, tadhart.com, click on radio links. You'll be able to read all the information. Make sure that you do follow the Twitter hashtag, CrowdShare411. I believe that there's also information on Facebook uh, regarding uh, Karma411's launch of CrowdShare as well. Perfect. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, John Murkoff, thank you so much for coming on the show today and making sure that uh, our audience knows that they, they've got some homework to do over the summer, but it's a good piece of homework and that they can uh, actually win some money to support their favorite nonprofit organization. Great. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. Have a good summer. You, you bet. Have a wonderful summer. That was John Murkoff. Uh, the CEO at karma411.com. Uh, make sure that you learn all about um, the fine offerings that they have uh, and these, this new opportunity to support crowd share, uh, crowdsource, I'm sorry, for uh, 411. Uh, we are now uh, winding down our services here on page one for the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Uh, before we jump over to page two, just want to remind you, and I do see a couple folks on the uh, on the uh, switchboard, that's great. Just uh, uh, stay right where you are. We're going to be getting right over to page two uh, for our page two expert. You can call in yourself at 347-324-3080. Make sure that you press the number one to let us know that you do have a question that you would like to ask. You can also ask questions over in the chat room. We've got a bunch of people over in the chat room today. You can also email your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. It is now time for us to head over to page now, this is uh, not only uh, an important day to note that uh, we're wrapping up our uh, uh, first half of the year. Uh, this is uh, Tuesday, June 26th, and we chose on purpose our page two expert today because she is so highly regarded not only in our industry but also by the listeners of the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Uh, Penelope Burke is one of the top ten all-time favorites live listen and podcast listens uh, for our uh, radio uh, audience here. She is number 10 in the top 10 Nonprofit Coach episodes of all time, available, of, of course, over in uh, the uh, the podcast available at tedhart.com. Click on radio show. Um, her last uh, most uh, uh, famous show, I guess, was April 5th, 2011. She was here talking uh, about 
uh, donor-centered fundraising. She is now live here today, and that is, of course, Penelope Burke. She's an author and researcher and mentor, celebrated for some of the most important innovations in modern-day fundraising. In 2000, Penelope introduced the concept of donor-centered fundraising. Today, Penelope's groundbreaking research continues to gain international recognition for challenging long-standing but ineffective fundraising practices and showing evidence-based methods that raise more money. And I think that's one of the things that really distinguishes uh, Penelope Burke and why it makes her such a popular um, guest here on the Nonprofit Coach, and that is uh, this is someone who does it by the numbers. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Coach, Penelope Burke. Hi, Ted. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. We're just releasing a brand-new survey. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, and of course, uh, we've had you here before. Your research is, is always very important to the nonprofit sector. We, you are now uh, the third in, in a row of uh, important announcements here on the Nonprofit Coast. Uh, two weeks ago, we had uh, the, the fine folks at uh, Giving USA for the third year in a row uh, use the Nonprofit Coach radio show as their official radio announcement of uh, the uh, the figures for U.S. giving in 2011. Uh, last week, we uh, had the folks from Atlas of Giving who uh, take a different look at uh, data, uh, trend that forward. Your research um, takes a, a much deeper look into the why of giving, not just the what was done or what will happen, but the the why of giving. So, uh, Penelope, please uh, tell us a little bit. And, of course, in the radio links today, we are providing uh, a link to your website where my listeners can download a copy of this research. But help us make sense of what you're finding in your latest research. Great. We uh, surveyed this year 26,000 donors in the United States and Canada. So when your listeners um, uh, click the link, they can uh, upload the executive summary of either the Canadian or the U.S. or both reports because they're not the same. So we uh, studied some very interesting issues uh, this year. And first, I'll give you some of the great news that uh, 79% of donors said they intended to give uh, this year either the same as they gave last year or more. 28% of them said they would give more, and only 7% said they'd give less. So this looks like a definitely an upward-moving year. What distinguishes the, the Cygnus Donor Survey is that we ask donors on many questions to look ahead and tell us what they're planning to do or they expect to do because we think that would be very helpful to fundraisers in order to plan where they will assign their staff talent and their budget. And so that's first good news. Along with that is a bit of a caution, and that is we've been seeing a trend for the last 10 years, and it's very strong this year, on a uh, decline in the number of causes that middle-aged and older donors support. When we compare those two groups uh, and we look at who supports 20 causes or more, uh, more than twice the number of donors over 65 support a lot of causes compared with middle-aged donors. So my caution to... Uh, not-for-profits that depend on volume-based fundraising for the majority of their income is to maybe look at now diversifying their fundraising, reaching into major gifts programs more, uh, the types of fundraisings, uh, fundraising programs that raise uh, significant dollars from a controlled number of people, just to balance off those high-volume fundraisers, which are not going to be as successful 10 or 20 years from now. So 
that is a caution, but overall it's a good news story. It is a good news story, but uh, you're seeing this decline. Is this uh, a recent decline or something that you've uh, you've seen no, coming for a while? No, uh, it's it's not recent. We've seen it for 10 years and strongly before the recession started, so it hasn't been spurred by the recession. Um, it's uh, uh, Philosophically, we've asked donors why they're supporting fewer causes, and uh, it's a very practical reason. So they can concentrate larger gifts um, uh, uh, that would have a greater impact, and to do that, they have to they have to compromise somewhere, and, and they do it by cutting back on the number of causes they support. So they're not giving less money, which is very good news. They're just giving it to fewer causes. Now we're we're seeing um, uh, an overall, as you said, you've been seeing this trend for uh, for ten years. Um, uh, and uh, by the way, let me take a, an opportunity to congratulate you be, on being uh, one of the top ten uh, uh, guests here on the Nonprofit Coach of All Time. Uh, that's no, really, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled you said that, Ted. And really, it's a, it, it's um, uh, for for a special reason because it means your listeners are are hungry for reliable, evidence based information. And uh, uh, many people have said that. They're not necessarily surprised at what we find, although there's always at least one big surprise in every study we do. Um, uh, but they use that information to take to their board and their CEO, who may not be as capable or as knowledgeable about fundraising as they are, and they use it to convince decision makers about where to allocate budget and how to make change in in uh, in focus in fundraising. So so I'm glad to hear that it's not just I and my colleagues at Cygnus who are in love with good research on donors. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 our guests do um, flock to your podcasts. Uh, uh, nearly every day and have placed you in the top 10. Uh, for the longest time, a very good uh, friend of, of mine, and I think you're, you know Kay Sprinkle Grace. Uh, oh, I sure do. And uh, she, for the longest time, was the queen of Nonprofit Coach uh, Radio Show and was uh, number one for the longest time, uh, so much so that she now is our regular pre-booked uh, holiday guest uh, for our Christmas show each year. Uh, is Kay Sprinkle Grace now. She's booked out for a couple of years here on the show. Um, but she was number one until just recently, and I bring this up because of the comments that you just brought. Uh, the person who moved into number one, a very recent show, April 17, 2012, Ken Berger from Charity Navigator moved uh, very quickly into the number one slot here on The Nonprofit Coach. And one of the topics that, uh, that, he, that he was talking about, which I think most people find rather surprising, is that while there are well over a million charities in the United States, the money is extremely concentrated uh, down to just 10 or 12,000 charities uh, in the United States that get the vast majority uh, of, uh, I, I believe the number is well over 95% of the money, uh, goes to that very small segment of, of the nonprofit sector. And that, that seems to, at least from your research, not be surprising to you and possibly consolidating even further? Uh, no, it's not surprising. Uh, when you look at that vast majority that doesn't seem to rate when it comes to fundraising, uh, they tend uh, they don't have any paid fundraising people on staff. They're very small organizations where the members of the boards 
um, are personally connected to whatever the issue or the cause was that caused them to uh, bring the organization into being in the first place. And they survive on their wits and on whatever monies that the the board members themselves contribute to the organization. That, And, uh, you know, as being on the other side of the line uh, where – I'm dealing and you're dealing on a daily base with highly sophisticated not-for-profit organizations and huge development offices dealing with a lot of money. Uh, we forget that, that the vast majority of not-for-profits are not even on the radar screen when it comes to fundraising. Because they're, they're known to a very small sector of, uh, of donors uh, who can be very loyal but um, do not have very much reach. That's right. Very loyal. And uh, it's a shame in one way that traditional fundraising, when when it starts to develop in its complex form, uh, automatically loses that intense connection that you have with an organization that's just in startup mode, where the people behind it will work day and night and do absolutely anything to make their cause happen. Yeah, and, and, and your research... What other aspects of your research um, point to um, the diversifying of funding bases, um, the social media and, and sources of giving, or is it still just highly, highly concentrated? Oh, it's um, uh, there's it, social media is opening up a whole new opportunity for fundraising and and bringing with it something else we've been seeing for years, uh, an opportunity for young donors to really make their voices heard. Um, threading through our 80-page report, in almost every page I say this is happening with middle-aged and older donors, but young donors are the exception to the rule. Their willingness to give is amazing and their untapped potential is much larger than you would think when we look at donors under the age of 35 who are employed so we we take out the full-time students which let me just say because i because this is an important point that you're making but this is a donor population that by and large for the average charity are nearly ignored are not considered to be substantial uh, or significant yeah so you are own peril <laughs> because Young donors' uh, willingness to give far exceeds that of middle-aged and older donors. And the only place where performance seems to be lower is in current average gift value, which is perfectly understandable. But young donors will tell you they're leaving money on the table right now in large numbers. They could give a lot more, but first of all, most of them aren't reached at all because we're still focusing the majority of our efforts through traditional means like direct mail appeals and young people are not in the culture of getting or opening mail and telemarketing where young donors don't have landlines so their their phone numbers are not being reached. Uh, But, of course, their environment is social media. And while the not-for-profit sector is, I think, doing a laudable job about getting in there, learning as much as they can, and shaping their communications um, increasingly well in social media, our stats on young donors say there's still an amazing amount of untapped potential. They want to volunteer. Um, Generally speaking, they're not being asked. Um, They want to give more but it's expected that they can't. 
Did you know that the average household income of our under 35 donors in this study, $75,000? They have money, they have time, and they have huge willingness and a perspective that boards of directors need as well. Uh, And and how did did charities tap that? Because as, as you said, um, you know, there there is willingness, there is capacity. So why do charities discount this population so readily? I don't think they're discounting it as they are preoccupied with uh, with managing the system that's currently in place. I mean, fundraising is a very very demanding activity, mm-hmm. and just keeping going the types of appeals and communications that that charitable organizations are already executing fills their entire day. And so I have a great deal of sympathy uh, for not-for-profits who are attending, uh, uh, hoping or trying to keep up with uh, the times and and continue to diversify their communications and not having the resources or the staffing in place to make it happen. To be able to do that, so, yeah. you know, that's really a piece of it. But they're doing an increasingly good job. Of reaching out. Uh, yeah. Penelope, um, I, I believe we do have uh, have a caller here. Uh, one second. Uh, uh, caller, you're live here on the uh, Nonprofit Coach uh, radio show uh, with uh, Ted Hart and Penelope Burke. You're calling from area code 484. You're live here on the show. Hi, Ted. Um, actually, I'm calling from Ohio, and I've been fortunate to be a, a, a member of two institutions that have participated in past years with Penelope's survey. So, huge fan of yours, Penelope, and this is great to be able to hear you live today. Oh, I had this a is wonderful. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, and thank you for being one of our partners. We could never oh. make this happen without you. Well, you know, I I will have to say I went through the channels to be able to get the Board of Trustees, and they appreciated being asked because, as you say, one of the things is simply asking donors what they want, and your survey has really, I think, brought that out to the forefront for that we don't have to be a researcher. We can ask ourselves, too. Mm -hmm. Um, The question I had was I was intrigued to see that even though donors are budgeting, there, there's wiggle room, and they said uh, some of them said I think it was the statistic was 25% said they were simply persuaded. Can you talk a bit about if you asked what that persuasion was? Please? Oh, it's it's such a fantastic discovery. Last year, donors asked us to do some research on how other donors manage their philanthropy. So we put together a series of questions. We didn't know what we were going to get out of it, but we found a number of fascinating things. First of all, about 60% of donors out there actually sit down in advance of their giving year and seriously contemplate how much they're going to give. They set a budget. They think about who they're going to support. Um, Some of them are more flexible than others. But among the donors who do set a budget for philanthropy, 35% of them end up giving more than they have budgeted, which is so great to see. And only 5% give less than they budgeted. So the whole idea of being strategic about your philanthropy seems to inspire donors to go that extra mile and give even more. And among that group of donors who set a budget, some of them are quite rigid about which not-for-profits they will support and decide on them in advance. 
but the majority select a few that are going to get some of their support, and then they remain open during the year uh, to approaches by other not-for-profits. And this is the group you were talking about who um, are uh, very open to persuasive appeals by fundraisers, and uh, they're ready to be convinced that they should give to you as well as to their short list of favorite charities. So I'm very, very encouraged by that, especially since our research back in 2009 was not nearly as optimistic being in the recession. So donors have loosened up, but they're also saying that a good fundraiser who comes to me and and gives me an excellent argument uh, is uh, going to get serious consideration by me, and I'm willing to give, and I've reserved money in my budget for those new ideas. So it's really great to hear. That is excellent news, and I think it really speaks to a major, major flaw of most major gift officers, which is they presume to know what the donor is thinking. (laughs) Sometimes they're right, but there's there's all kinds of room there. <laughs> there. There is. You don't know until you ask. So I, I think this is very encouraging. I've followed all the surveys, and uh, that was the one thing I, I well, I, I, I was impressed by many things in this year's, but that one really gave me a lot of hope. And so thank you so much uh, for this great report. Thank you. And thank you for joining us uh, from Ohio. I I agree with you. I think that uh, uh, learning to listen more and what Penelope's research does is give us insight into what donors are thinking, what donors uh, want, uh, because after all, it is their philanthropy that we're seeking to direct uh, to philanthropic efforts. So again, thank you uh, for calling in and asking your question. Uh, We're going to take a a quick break here, Penelope. When we come back, we do have another caller on the switchboard. We also have emails coming in. Of course, uh, Penelope, you're always very popular, so uh, hang right there, and we'll be uh, right back after this break. I want to have the opportunity to talk to you about a new and exciting enterprise that is poised to make a a definite impact on the philanthropic marketplace, and that is a company called Fund Coaches. You'll find a link over in the radio links today, and Fund Coaches is the only premier online fundraising institute in existence today. Fund Coaches helps fundraising professionals and lay nonprofit leaders like yourself to improve your fundraising efforts. You have to try Fund Coaches to see what you're missing. All of the Fund Coaches training modules are short, sweet, and meaningful. Fund Coaches modules are taught by the top experts in their field, and I've been uh, pleased to have the opportunity to uh, film, uh, to, to record some of the modules myself on some important topics facing the nonprofit sector. You can enjoy Fund Coaches modules at your office, wherever you might be at home. Uh, it's also a great way to train your new staff at a very low cost. And it gets even better because Fund Coaches modules are not only low cost, but are also available to you at a discount as a listener of the Ted Hart Radio Show. To take advantage of this very special offer, and I'm going to give you a second to grab your pen right now because there is a discount code that you're going to want to take down here. You go to fundcoaches.com, fundcoaches.com. You can register and select the modules that you want. At checkout, use the following discount code. Uh, J-A-C-L-M-V-Q-8. I'm going to give that to you again. It's J-A-C. 
LMVQ8. That's going to give you a 50% discount on the already low cost for the Fund Coaches modules. So that's fundcoaches, F-U-N-D-C-O-A-C-H-E-S.com. And the 50% discount code is J-A-C-L-M-V as in Victor, Q8. And remember, that expires at the end of this month as we go into our summer hiatus. You still have several days left to take uh, this tremendous offer. Before we head back to Penelope Burke, uh, who is a leading expert um, in donor research, sharing the latest of her information on uh, donors. I do want to remind you that voting is still underway over at tedhart.com. Over at tedhart.com, uh, we're interested to uh, to know your opinion on uh, which president of the United States has done the most uh, to support and promote philanthropy. Uh, and then uh, taking a look at the latest uh, voting over on uh, tedhart.com, uh, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton are virtually tied for first place uh, every president, and it's randomly selected, so it's not in alphabetical order or anything of that sort, just randomly selected when you look at it. Um, the uh, uh, All of the presidents uh, that are listed there have received at least one vote, uh, but again, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton seem to be pulling out uh, ahead. So go over to tedhart.com today, and you can vote on which president has done the most for philanthropy. Uh, we're going to head uh, right back over to Penelope Burke. Remember um, that you can uh, uh, call in today, and here's a little reminder as we uh, head back over to Penelope. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Penelope Burke is our page two expert today. She's an author, researcher, and mentor uh, celebrated for some of the most important innovations in modern-day uh, fundraising. Uh, welcome back here, uh, Penelope Burke. We do have another uh, caller, uh, so we're going to go uh, right to the lines. Uh, call your live here uh, with Penelope Burke on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show, and you're calling from area code 443. Caller, are you there? All right, well, caller, uh, feel free to uh, jump back in. Just press number one. Let us know on the switchboard uh, if you would like to uh, ask a question. So, Penelope, uh, back to you. Um, What else did you learn in this latest research that uh, might have either been surprising or validating to some of the trends that you've already seen? Well, both in our section on fundraising events. Um, I started my career in fundraising events, and at the time I may not have appreciated them in the way I do today because I spent day and night out there in the bowling alleys and the car raffles and what have you just trying to survive. But we uh, asked everyone in our study this year, if they had pledged or sponsored anyone who participated in an athletic-type fundraising event like a walkathon or or a cycling event, and uh, 71% of respondents had done so within the last two years. So we wanted to know from them whether um, sponsoring someone in an event is a good way to get them interested in giving directly to the charitable organization. Because while we're always interested in the subjects that we um, survey specifically, like monthly giving or major gifts, or in this case, fundraising events, 
were particularly sensitive to the issue of how everything links to everything else and that the overall intention of fundraising is to pull donors up from from wherever they are now and whatever giving levels they're giving right now into a higher, profitable, better place. And so we wanted to know from people who sponsor participants in fundraising events whether they would give directly if they were asked to do so. And among those who had never been asked, we found that 17% said they would definitely or highly likely uh, make a direct contribution to uh, the charitable organization that ran the event if they were asked to do so. And an even higher number would give if the participant that they were sponsoring uh, played a role in asking them to, to give. And while 17% on its own doesn't look like a big number, if you stop and ask yourself what percentage of conversion you get from non-donors into becoming donors when you do when you use sort of typical purchased lists and and the rate of conversion is usually around 1 or 2% at best then 17% looks a lot more attractive and so while we were looking at other questions we found that probably the most interesting finding in this part of our research study of all was that there seems to be potential to turn event sponsors into direct philanthropic donors and that and that not-for-profits who are lucky enough to uh, have athletic events as part of their portfolio should maybe look at at least testing that concept because there could be some exciting and very profitable results. And, and in those uh, profitable results, um, do you have specific advice uh, for all of our listeners today in terms of prioritization? I do. Um, I think that if if I were running an event and trying to convert my sponsors to donors, I would go first to a handful of participants who would be willing to work with me in setting up a test where the, a lot of the um, acquisition of sponsors by uh, people who register for athletic events is, is now done online. So I would help them craft communications out to their sponsors um, uh, so that the request to give is coming from the participant where the real loyalty lies. About 80% of event sponsors said the number one reason that they sponsored someone because was because of their uh, association with the participant, usually a friend or a relative or a co-worker. And so to use that association to encourage direct giving would be very, very valuable. I, I could not agree with you uh, more. We have a, a question that's uh, come in from uh, from email, um, and this is a, a question from San, uh, coming in from uh, San Jose. And uh, uh, this is, I think, a building off from some of the last couple of shows that we've had. Um, but uh, the the email question seems to be indicating that they'd like you to um, expand a little bit more on your um, the trend line of giving that you see coming up uh, in the coming year. Well, um, first of all, it seems to be positive. Uh, the whole uh, argument of the recession is not, 
is not um, working well with donors, which is actually a good thing. So if you rely on the message, times are tough and therefore we need you to give, it's just not resonating with donors anymore. But what is resonating with donors is uh, to say that you have the solution to problems. Uh, that are out there, and even if the problems are caused or exacerbated by the recession, that you're a forward, positive-thinking, forward-moving organization who is ready to take action in a significant way to make life better for Americans. Uh, And that is the type of message that donors want to hear. Because, as I said before, they're being more selective about the number of causes they support. One of the ways in which your cause can be prioritized with a donor is if you are very clear, uh, not just why you're in business, in other words, clear about your mission, but very clear about how you unfold that mission, the work you do in tangible, measurable terms that gives um, your mission its life. And not only telling donors up front exactly what you will do with the money if they give it to you, but then at the back end being prepared to keep donors informed about how you're progressing, what your achievements are, and even telling them if and when things don't work out so well. We've done great research with donors asking them, whether they would fund a charitable organization a second time if the first program they funded uh, didn't fly, uh, but the charitable organization knew what had gone wrong and put steps in place to make sure it would be unlikely that this happened again. And would you stand by the charity was our question. And and about 68% of donors said absolutely. Isn't that interesting? That's, so, that's what life is all about, they said. So, so, so mistakes are not to be uh, something to be swept under the rug. Uh, not a bit. But, but, but instead um, to be owned, uh, to learn from. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, uh, donors give charitable organizations a lot of credit when they, when they do step up to the plate and say, well, this probably wasn't the best thing we ever did. Because they say, this is how we got to where we are. And we didn't become successful in life because we did everything right. We leaned on other people. We made mistakes. We sought advice. And we learned. That's how we learned. And they expect everybody else to do the same. But but it requires that bold leadership to step forward and to, uh, to own the mistake um, and to have, have – uh, a reason for um, for people to believe that success can come from that mistake as opposed to a sort of band-aid approach to the, the mistake. Yes, and if you think about foundations and their funding, that's exactly the type of thing they're trying to fund. They're trying uh, – foundations want to fund new uh, experimental uh, programs, and they often don't make it. Uh, uh, but their money is dedicated to finding new avenues, and and and, and uh, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And sharing those uh, mm-hmm. those successes uh, and failures, you know, don't go there, but do go here. Uh, yeah, and they're of, equally for, lauded, for sure. So is I have amazing? some. I got some great data in this study on not-for-profit websites, uh, oh, even stronger than I thought. 
Please share that. What, what did you learn about nonprofit? Well, donors? we're now up to 83% of donors who quietly go to your websites before giving, either the first time or before giving again, if they're already a donor. And a lot of that, all that activity going on behind the scenes is, um, and the, the breadth of information available on websites makes donors increasingly independent now. And th- at first blush, that might sound like it isn't a good thing to fundraisers who understandably want to be in control of whatever's going on with donors. But we're finding that the more independent the donor, uh, the more likely they are to do research. And the more donors who do research on not-for-profits, the more they tend to follow through and actually make a gift. And the bigger um, that that gift is. Does that research in any way... um uh, tell you what donors plan to do having gone to the website? Absolutely. They are very specific. So they say, we're looking for the answer to two questions when we go to someone's website. And if they can find the answers to these questions quickly without a lot of searching, and if the information is is robust, then they tend to follow through and give. And here are the two questions. What would you do with my gift if I choose to contribute? So they're looking for specific information on where the money will go. And the second question is, what is your track record in the last year or so with gifts that you've received from other donors? In other words, what did you do with their money and what did you accomplish by using their money? And if you, if that, I have to say that in our review of not-for-profit websites, which we do on an ongoing business basis, only about 10% of them answer those two questions. That's incredible. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. incredible. You know what else is incredible, Penelope, is how quickly time flies when we have you on the show. Uh, (laughs) Because your information is so rich and your information uh, 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 really draws people in because, as I said when I introduced you, um, that you have helped people move beyond just interpreting the tea leaves but to actually allowing executives and boards of directors to make decisions based on facts and based on on figures. And this has been transformative to so many um, organizations, including the caller uh, that we had today. So, Penelope, please share with my listeners how they can reach you. And and I know you always give us some insight into the next research project. Yes, absolutely. First of all, our survey, which is done annually, is called the Cygnus, spelled C-Y-G-N-U-S, the Cygnus Donor Survey. And if you go uh, through your link, I think, Ted, from yep. the show, you'll land right on our website where you can download the free executive summary, or you can, and if that excites you, you can buy the entire report for a nominal fee, and that whole report includes 40 recommendations, and it's about 80 pages long, and covers a lot of subjects that we have not had a chance to touch on today. Can I end with one of the happiest statistics of all this year? Absolutely. 44% of the donors in the study said they left money on the table last year, that they could have given more. And then, of course, we said, well, what would it take to get that from you? And some of them said they could have given a lot more. And they said they're looking for 
what is in essence a donor-centered approach to fundraising. They want to be acknowledged promptly and meaningful, meaningfully when they make a gift, and they want to know what happened with their last gift before they're asked for another one. And if they get that, they're ready to unleash their philanthropy at a whole new level. So the message today is it's not just about the thank you, but it's reporting on what's happened that inspires donors to give again. Correct. That's incredible. Uh, Penelope, we have just a few seconds left. Um, how can, uh, in addition to the link that we provided today, um, uh, other ways that uh, our, our listeners can reach out to you? Uh, feel free to visit our website at anytime, cygresearch.com. And I am frequently speaking around the, co- uh, around the country. I know I'm headed off to L.A. this afternoon, and, uh, and I'll be later in the week in Minneapolis at the CASE conference. On our site, there's an up-to-date list of uh, speaking engagements where, where I'll be Don't, presenting. Uh... Don't miss the opportunity to catch her live. You just had her here on this show. I'm sure this will be one of our biggest podcasts. Penelope Burke, thank you for taking us into our summer break. We will be back live here on The Nonprofit Coach, September 4th. Thank you, Ted. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.